Gina Della from Pella through June 30th at Pella Windows and Doors of Wisconsin. Choose 40% off installation or six-year no-interest financing. Get details now at PellaWI.com slash radio or 855-PELLA-WI. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 855-616-1620. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. This is the type of program it's going to be. In the tease, I mentioned we're going to discuss, again, some of the just the, the mind-boggling things that uh, U.S. Senator Ron Johnson is doing. And one of my notes says, Jeff, stop picking on Senator Ron Johnson. My response was, you should ask him to stop doing stupid, counterproductive things which make his reelection more difficult every day. All right, that kind of sets the tone. We'll be talking about that a little bit later. We also will keep you up, keep you updated about what's going on in the roadways. If you haven't been paying attention, um, uh, um a real heavy thunderstorm quickly moved through the area. I guess it's in the process of still moving through. Dumped a ton of rain, and and as we were reporting at the top of the hour, there's some roads, including the the freeway right around the Marquette Interchange, which at least, at least as of a few minutes ago had lots and lots of standing water and was down to one lane. Now the thing with standing water is it tends to drain a lot of times quickly. But we'll continue to keep you updated if you're out and about. Be careful as these huge squalls move through. So yesterday. Went to the Brewers-Cubs game. And this is one of the reasons why, honestly, I, I love going to live sporting events because you never know when you're going to go and you're going to see something that you've never seen before. I mean, look, a lot of the games, you know, you know, they kind of go along. Your team wins, your team loses. You know, maybe there's dramatic plays, etc. And every once in a while, though, you have these special games. A couple of years ago, I was at the ball game, and Ben Gamble, when he played for the Brewers, had an inside-the-park home run. I had never seen in all my years an inside-the-park home run live. And it was incredibly cool to watch him motoring around the bases. That was a great thing. Okay, last night... 30-plus thousand people there. My guess is it was 60-40 Cubs fans. And the Cubs take a two-run lead in the beginning. The Brewers come back, tie it 2-2 in the bottom of the first inning, score single runs. So going into the seventh inning, it's 4-2. Brewers bring in a relief pitcher who gets lit up. Four to four, top of the eighth inning. Brewers bring in their reliever, Devin Williams. He's struggling. Cubs load the bases. Cub fans are going nuts. Williams works his way out of it. Okay, so it's the bottom of the eighth inning. And the game had been kind of dragging along a little bit. And I'm kind of looking at my watch because... My wife is out of town, and I've got the little dog. It's been home, and I got, I got, I got to get home some point in time. And I hope the game's going to end. I don't want to see it end going to like twelve innings and stuff. Well, it didn't because all of a sudden, out of the clear blue, in the bottom of the eighth inning, the Brewers score fourteen runs. They send like thirteen people to the plate. You know, um, Adamas hits a three-run home run. Keston Hira hits a three-run home run. I, I mean, it's just it's it's one of the most incredible explosions out of nowhere that you. I have ever seen in my life. And the beauty, the absolute beauty of being there was the fact that you had all these loud Cubs fans 
slinking out. I mean, it was, I mean, they were, okay, they were disappointed after the Brewers scored two or three runs. And then as this assault keeps going on, the stands are just emptying as people are just kind of walking out, sort of like shaking their, their heads. And pretty soon all the Cubs fans are gone and the stadium is now only about a third full or whatever, but that's fine. You know, it's enjoy yourselves. Thanks for coming. Thanks for spending your money. It was just one of the most incredible things. I mean, I'm not sure I have been to a major league baseball game and seen 10 runs in an inning. I, I can't remember ever seeing that. I mean, I've seen it in Little League games and things like that. But if they had a mercy rule, they would have stopped this game in the bottom of the eighth inning. You knew it was bad when they brought in former Brewers um, infielder uh, uh, Eric Sogard, who'd been playing third base. They bring him in to pitch the last two uh, to the last two batters in the eighth inning. And I, I don't know that I've ever seen a position player come in and pitch in the middle of an inning. It was that bad from the perspective of the Cubs. But if you were a Brewers fan, it was absolutely tremendous. And they do it all again tonight. You can hear it on WTMJ. All right, having said that, so it was a great experience, 30-plus thousand people. It was fun to be at the ballpark where it's crowded again and there's a vibrancy and there's cheering and things like that. So a lot of fun. Glad to have it back to normal. Now, having said that, there is one thing that I noticed the Brewers were doing that is flat-out not working. And in my opinion, there's no reason for it. And it's an object lesson, I think, to other event planners and stuff moving forward. And that is the cashless payment system, especially for vendors in the stands. It is a complete and total mess. Now, here's here's the way this works. Now, typically, you go to the ball game. You're sitting there. There's the beer guy, you know, and he's carrying the, the, the trays with, with the beer. And you go, hey, beer man. And you say, give, give me two Millers. And he says, great, that's $16 or whatever it is. And you pull out a 20 and you give him the 20 and he gives you the two Millers. And you say, keep the change. And the transaction takes maybe about 15 seconds. Here's how it works. And, and I might be... I might be skipping a step somewhere along the line, but but not not much. All right, they no longer allow you to pay cash at almost any any place in in American Family Field. You can't pay cash with. There's maybe one or two stands that take it, but in general, it's all credit cards. Now, how does this work for the vendors, the guys, you know, selling the beer and stuff? Well, here's the deal: in order to buy a beer in the stands at American Family Field, this is what you need to do. And and follow me on this. Okay, the vendors, they are carrying their trays. And on the outside of the tray, it's got a big, it's got a barcode. So to buy a beer, this is what you have to do, or a Long Island iced tea or whatever. You have to have your cell phone. You have to open the camera app on the cell phone. You have to take a picture of the the barcode that the vendor has on the outside of the vendor's tub. All right, you take a picture of it. Then you you once you get the once the the barcode shows up on your phone, you you punch it. It then takes you to the Major League Ballpark app. At this point in time, you have to enter your credit card information on the ballpark app. Once that happens, a a menu pops up. And then you can get, then say, I want two Millers. You enter the two Millers, and then you say whether you want to leave a tip. It then sends that information to the guy, the vendor who's standing there waiting and waiting, and then he can give you the two beers. Now, I watched this. 
I watched person after person after person struggle with this last night. Um, there were people who, you know, there, there were people who just couldn't figure out how to do this. And then the vendors were trying to work with them. And, you know, after three or four minutes of the vendors standing in the aisle, the, the persons were, the people were just like frustrated. I'm, I'm going to go up to the, to the counter and get one. It, it takes forever. So I was curious about this because I, I noticed that these vendors did not seem to be selling too much beer because it was just it's just too much work it's too much effort and there's a lot of people that for example don't have the ballpark app on the thing and they're not going to enter their credit card information or anything like that so i went up to one of the beer uh, beer guys and i said i'm just curious how is this working he says jeff it's a nightmare and i said what do you mean he says we are selling maybe in, in the stands, you know, the, the vendors, he said, we're selling maybe maybe about 20% of what we would sell otherwise because it's just too time-consuming. It's too much trouble, and and people don't go through this. People just aren't they, – they, they're not going to do it. So I'm not saying people aren't necessarily buying beer because what they're doing is they're going up. You go up to the stands, and then you can at least – most of them are cashless, but you can at least put your credit card in – and then just push the buttons and then walk away with it, as opposed to this complicated kabuki dance that is, frankly, it's beyond a lot of people. And and I, I may, maybe it's an age sort of thing, but I was watching lots of people around me that were just flat out struggling. They couldn't get it. And even some of the people that could get it, it was just too much trouble. So everybody's, I'm just going to go get a beer. And, and the vendors are the ones that are taking the hit. On top of that, this whole cashless thing, and I've been thinking about this for a while. Look, here's one of the things we know about COVID. If the justification for this is, right, we, we don't want to spread COVID. One thing that we know is COVID is not passed on surfaces. COVID is primarily an airborne transmission. So the idea that you would touch money and pass it down and give it to somebody and they touch it and they give it back to you, that that's a way that you're going to spread COVID. That's just not how it happens. It's just flat not how it happens. Now, maybe, again, there's a unicorn and you can find something like that, but 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 that's not what this is. I guess I'm looking at this thinking, uh, look, if I don't know whether it's a brewer's policy. I don't know whether this is going to be the policy of other people, you know, moving forward. But at least as far as vendors and stuff, it's just flat out not working. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And I mean, I, I feel, I mean, I feel bad for these vendors. I, I really do. Who, I mean, I think they make a chunk of their change on commissions and stuff like that. It's just, it's flat out too much trouble. And my question is that I keep raising is what, what is really the benefit of going through the, this giant, like I say, kabuki dance? It's just, now I had two beers last night, but <laughs> it's, I, I went up to the stands. I put the credit card in the machine and I did it. But even at that, it would have been easier just to give the person the money. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. It, it's just, is it going to st- – look, I'm glad people are going to the ball games. okay? It, it was a lot of fun. But to me, this was one of these annoying things that is probably virtue signaling more than anything else. I don't think it adds anything to safety. And candidly, it, it cuts into the fan experience. 855-616-1620, we discuss. Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. 
855-616-1620. Look, I'm I'm glad they're back to full capacity, but I'm just telling you what they're doing at American Family Field. And in bigger picture, if this is going to be the way it's going to be at other places throughout the year, it doesn't work. You, You might as well not have the beer vendors in the stands anymore. And some people are asking me questions. Well, you mean you pass your credit card? No, the beer vendors don't have one of those point of sale things. So you can't give the beer vendor your credit card. Can't even do that. You have to scan the bar, open the camera app on your phone. I'm not making this up. Scan the barcode on the tray the vendor has. Then that shows up on your phone. You click on it. It opens the ballpark app. Okay. Then what you have to do is you have to put your credit card information in the ballpark app. Then you get a menu. So you can say, okay, I want to buy two beers. Then it comes up. It sends uh, a thing to the vendor who's then standing there, and then he can give you the two beers. Instead of a transaction, which should take 15 seconds, it takes two or three minutes if people know what they're doing. And that's a, a big if. If you don't have your credit card information loaded into the ballpark app, well, it, it could take in, – in one case – the vendor was trying to sell two Long Island iced teas to the, this gal who was down the aisle from me. It was just not flat out working. And I'm, I'm asking the beer vendors, and they're saying, oh, here's, here is the, the problem. He said, you know, we, our, our sales, he said, it's probably about 20% of what it was because people, it's too hard. It's just too flat out difficult. And my point is, there's no purpose behind this because COVID isn't passed by surfaces. I mean, giving somebody a $20 bill and getting $2 change back, that that's not what is spreading COVID. Now, I understand at some festivals they are going cashless because they want to deal with employee theft. But that's not the concern in American Family Field. I I just bring back the cash or, or, or get rid of the beer vendors, because if these guys are making commission, they're not going to make enough money to make it worth their time. Dave in Oak Creek. Dave, you're on WTMJ. Howdy, Jeff. Um, I don't agree with you much, but on this one, I agree with you 100 um, percent. Yeah, this is just crazy. Um, you know, there should be some type of like workaround. What if the vendor did all cash and then swiped his own credit card or did his own credit card, to, you know, well, you know I mean, what I'm saying? No, well, Dave, no, I, I mean, I, I, well, Dave, I, I don't, I, no, I don't think there should be a workaround. Just go back to the normal thing. Hey, beer guy, two Millers, here's a 20. Keep the change. Thanks for the beers. Boom, you move on. This is, this is, this is a, a solution looking for a problem that is causing all sorts of, of problems. And, and people just don't get it. And I, I understand that there's maybe a learning curve out there. Somebody just sent a text saying, what, what about people that don't have smartphones? You can't buy beers from the vendors in the stands. You can't buy hot dogs. You're, you, you, need you need to have a camera on your phone to take th- this picture i mean that's but again what what are we really solving here and the answer is the answer is is nothing and again so i mean look the, the workaround is you don't buy beer from the people in the stands and and that's what we did i just, I, I go up and I, I i have the ballpark app see a lot of people don't even have that ballpark app if you're if you're just an occasional fan that's going to go to two games a year why would you necessarily have it i do because i'm a season ticket holder but i'm I don't have my credit card information loaded onto that. I, there's no reason for it. So if I want a beer, like I said, I, I went up and I, I stood in line and I got one. But it just, it, it this make, it makes no sense that they are doing this. Just like when the city of Milwaukee banned tailgating for the first weekend of the year, that made no sense. This one makes no sense as well. Go back to cash. 
I mean, it's not likely to spread COVID. COVID, as a general rule, doesn't spread based on surface contact. That's one thing that we all know. So why not be... And, and I say, I mean, I'm directing this at the Brewers because I saw this, you know, firsthand last night. But I think you're going to see this play out as they make it more and more difficult to use cash at, at other large events. And the question becomes, for what? Why are we really doing this? Let's talk to uh, Jim in Walker's Point. Jim, you're on WTMJ. Yeah, you're, it's great points here, Jeff. There's a couple of things that go on. First of all, the old timer beer vendors, the guy with the knee pads. You know who I'm talking about? I do, absolutely. He's been around forever. And that poor guy already has enough trouble getting up and down the steps to have to deal with this stuff and stand there with his readers on trying to read his phone. Right. It's taken five minutes, and the whole thing is is a disaster for everyone. Everybody's used to, okay, minute, 30 seconds, yeah. get a beer. Hey, beer, beer guy, two Millers, two Millers. Longer. Right, beer guy, two yeah. Millers. He pulls out the, the bottle opener. He, he pops the top on two of them. You pass $20 down. He gives them. You say, keep the change. It's a 15-second transaction, yeah. 30 at most, yeah. Yeah, and yeah. the poor guy's not getting anywhere near the tips they should do, and that's the whole thing. You want to just give him five bucks just because you feel bad. The whole thing is just oh, not, it oh, just makes no sense. Right, no, thanks, and it, and it accomplishes nothing. I'll, right after the break, I'll share a couple texts before we move on, but Jeff, one of my best friends is a beer vendor. While he's happy to be back, this weekend was a disaster for him. He is usually a top seller. This weekend, he barely made anything. People kept walking away. He wants cash back. Um, yeah, that, that it's just, it's too much trouble. And I, I mean, I, I look, I like to support the beer vendors as well, but I'm not going through all these steps. OK, I got to open the ca- I got to open the camera app on my phone. I got to take a picture of, of of the thing. And of course, if you're in the middle of, you know, so if, let's say if you're in the middle of the aisle, the beer vendor, he's standing there kind of holding his carton. And so you're trying to, like, position yourself around to shoot this thing. It's just it, <laughs> I, I don't know who thought this up. But it's not very well thought up. Bring back cash. Support the vendors. This is Jeff Wagner. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Okay, don't believe me. Let us follow the science. All right, here, here, and, and for people right of center, left of center, I mean, here's, here's, what's, here's what the science says. Wisconsin, Department of Health and Social Services, what they're saying is that um, since January 1st, just 1% of all confirmed and probable COVID-19 cases since the start of this year have been among those who were fully vaccinated. Just, just 1%. Your chances of getting COVID-19 after you have been fully vaccinated are slim to none. That's just the reality. Uh, the Department of Health and Social Services says the science is clear. Vaccines work in the real world. They save lives. And if you're fully vaccinated, you are protected. All three vaccines have been tested and proven to be safe and effective. This is, again, this is this is Tony Evers, Department of Health. Take a look at the COVID-19 data, and you will see that cases, hospitalizations, and deaths have been declining since vaccines were authorized, and we started getting shots in arms. Okay? Um, again, the quotation, the money quote, if you are fully vaccinated, you are protected. That's not me. That's Tony Evers, Department of Health and Social Services. Now, again, I we're going to I understand there's some people who choose not to get vaccinated. That's not what this that's not what the subject of this conversation is. But I, I think it is pretty clear if you look at the numbers, 
if you are in fact vaccinated. Now, maybe the vaccinations are going to cause other issues down the road. Right? Let's let us put that aside for a second. But if you are fully vaccinated, your chances of getting COVID are very, very minor. Your chances of getting COVID and having to be hospitalized are almost or dying are almost non-existent. Your chances of getting COVID after you are fully vaccinated, a breakthrough thing, and then infecting somebody else who is vaccinated. Maybe there's been a case of that somewhere in the world, but there, there's no, but it's not reported. I mean, so once you are vaccinated for all intents and purposes, you are, you are safe. And that's why the, the recommendation, the guidance has always been, okay, go, go out and, you know, start living your life again once you are vaccinated. There, there is more good news. The new studies that are out there suggest that the immunity you get from the vaccines may last several years. I mean, that's what the new data is starting to say. They're saying unless there's some like new kind of variant that emerges in the future. If you've gotten one of these vaccines, it, in all likelihood, the science shows you're, you're, you're going to be protected for a long time. In addition, the variant that is, you know, going through the world right now, this thing they call the Delta variant, all the studies show that the vaccines that have been administered, they offer protection against the Delta variant. So that, that's the, that's the backdrop of this. If you are vaccinated, you're you're pretty much protected moving forward. Now, maybe the science is going to change six months from now or a year from now. And maybe ultimately, like I say, there'll they'll be something that shows that there's long term side effects from the vaccines. That, that's a different question. But from the perspective of pr- protecting you from covid, once you get that vaccination, you're there, which brings us to the latest edict from the World Health Organization, which has been all over the map over the course of the last year. The World Health Organization officials are now urging even fully vaccinated people to continue wearing masks and taking other precautions. The CDC has told fully vaccinated Americans that they no longer need to wear masks indoors or to stay six feet away from people. Um, the World Health Organization is saying, in contrast, no, no, we, we want you, because there's these variants out there, we want you to go back to wearing masks indoors, practicing social distancing, essentially go back to where we were before the vaccinations came out. In Los Angeles County, the health department, while not mandating, just yesterday came out and recommended that everybody in Los Angeles County resume wearing masks when they are, in fact, indoors, vaccinated or not. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, is this back to the future? For people who, if you are fully vaccinated, All right. How would you respond? And like I say, World Health Organization is saying, well, we think people need to continue wearing masks or resume wearing masks. If you are fully vaccinated. All right. How would you respond if the government were to tell us, "Okay, now you have to go back. We're going to now forget what the CDC says. We're going to follow World Health Organization guidelines and we are going to start reimposing mask mandates for people who are already fully vaccinated. 855-616-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. How would you respond to that? How should government respond to that? And again, as we've talked about before in the show, if you want to 
If you, because of your personal circumstances, you know, want to wear masks forever, I think that that's, that's your right to do. But for the rest of us who have gotten ourselves vaccinated, who believe that the vaccinations are going to protect us and therefore protect others, I have no interest in continuing to wear a mask inside. And I, I think that the idea that government would suggest that fully vaccinated people go back to that is ridiculous. And I don't think people will support that. 855-616-1620. What do you think? We discuss. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. If you're just tuning in, the World Health Organization came out yesterday and said, we're changing our guidance again. And even if you are fully vaccinated, we think that you should continue to wear masks indoors. L.A. County, their health department said, we, we we're going to recommend this. We're not going to mandate it. I, I just don't think people will do this. And by the way, if we're talking about following the science, there, there's no science right now that justifies that. The science says that if you are vaccinated, for all intents and purposes, you are protected from this. And this new variant that's out there, the Delta stuff, the science, at least so far, shows that the vaccine protects you from the Delta variant as well. So if we're following the science, there is no need to wear masks, period. And and maybe, look, maybe the data is going to change. Maybe somewhere along the line, there's going to be some new weird strain of COVID that's going to be able to defeat the vaccines. But that's not there right now. 855. 616-1620. All right, let's see. Um, Jeff, I would say to the World Health Organization, show me the proof. Are we not currently doing a great experiment um, by piling back in places like AmFam Field? If cases among the vaccinated spike tremendously, then I agree. Maybe we should look at uh, precautionary measures. But that is not happening thus far. Jeff, if I still have to go back to limitations, then I wasted time scheduling the two shots and spending a day in bed with the reaction. I have not worn one mask in my name and I'm not since then and I'm not buying any more. Jeff, there's no way I'm going to wear a mask again unless a store owner requires it. Somebody else said if the store owners require it, though, they're not going to patronize the place. Um, Jeff, no wonder 90% of poll Democrats think the pandemic is still raising. They buy, uh, raging. They buy into this scare talk vile, um, veiled as science. Um, Jeff, no to mandates. Choice without judgment, yes. I was at the fireside and wearing a mask. A woman outspokenly said to me, you know, you don't need to wear my mask. I politely responded that I choose to. Bottom line, freedom to choose without shaming on either side, to which I say amen. Like I say, if you want to, it was an American family field last night. I would say, uh, I saw maybe a handful of masks, but I could probably count them on on the fingers of one hand. Most people were making that decision uh, not to have this. Uh, Jeff, at this point, I am not going back. No mask for this fully um, um, vaccinated gal. Um, Jeff, it makes me wonder if the World Health Organization knows something else is coming down the pike. Well, okay, well, then then they should tell us that, not this. Um, Jeff, this doesn't need to be a big deal. People vaccinated or not should be allowed to make their own decisions on wearing masks. And I, I think that that's um, good. Um, I, I don't think there's any way to do this. Um, let's see. Jeff, the bluebonic plague couldn't get me to wear a mask again. Well, I don't go that far. Um, but, but this isn't the bluebonic plague. 
Jeff, I would tell the government to pass uh, gas in a windstorm. Well, that's not how they quite phrased it. Um, you know, there's, I think, the reality that's kind of out there. Um, Jeff, I've already had COVID. I'm fully vaccinated. I have no intentions to go back to mask wearing unless the death rate numbers starting looking like they did in the past winter. Right. You can always... And see, and that's why I cut the CDC some slack at the beginning of this, because they came out in the beginning and said wearing a mask doesn't make any difference. Then, you know, a month or two into it, they started looking at the science and they realized that it was being transmitted by airborne particles. And they said, OK, no, wearing a mask is a good idea. That, that I, I get it. I think the science can evolve and I don't fault them for getting it wrong in the beginning and changing. But you, if you're going to go back. If you're going to now reverse yourself on this, you have to be able to show the data, show the science, and it's simply, it's not there um, right now. So, you know, that's, you know, that's the case, and that's what's going on here. So in any event, that's where the World Health Organization is. You know, you, you can decide for yourself, but I, I think we're going to see this push to try to go back to the future. I'm just suggesting that I don't think the people are with them. And I think if any government agency tries to mandate and force people back to masks without there being some dramatic change. And by the way, we're still trying to get people vaccinated. What in the world? You want to talk about sending mixed messages. What in the world? How do you convince the people that haven't decided already to get vaccinated? How do you convince them to get themselves vaccinated if you're telling them that even once you're vaccinated, you got to wear a mask so you can still get sick? I mean, it's this. You want to talk about something that is incredibly self-defeating. It, it's trying to push, you know, that saying, OK, well, vaccinations work. They, they, they make you you're much safer from getting COVID from they prevent you from getting covid. You are protected for all intents and purposes. But even if you get vaccinated, well, you know, you got to wear the mask and you got to do all these other things. Good luck trying to convince somebody to get vaccinated then completely and totally mixed messages in this case coming from the World Health Organization. And it's not helping back with more in just a minute. And this is Jeff Wagner. See, the interesting thing about COVID conversations is I get hate mail from the left and the right. I, I get hate mail from the people who say, how can you encourage somebody to get a vaccine? Don't you understand it's going to kill the what's going to end the world? And then I get hate mail from the, the left saying, you, you're downplaying the significance of COVID. We should essentially wear hazmat suits for the rest of our lives. How dare you say that a vaccination is going to make you safe? And I, I just I, I kind of like throw up my my hands on both of this. But this is this is one here. Jeff, you always just tell half truths. You know, it's a sad state that you've gotten yourself into. Um, I thought you cared about First Amendment rights, but now your employer seems to control everything you say for the most part. It's truly sad. It's why you've lost a lot of listeners. Um, maybe someday you'll be a rightful person again. I pray for you. Um, to which my response was, huh? Well, actually, we, we haven't lost a lot of listeners. In fact, the ratings are as high as they've ever been. And beyond that, and I did I do want to say this because I get this every once in a while. Here, here's the bottom line. My employer, Good Karma Broadcasting, WTMJ Management, let me just, just say this out front. They do not and never have told me what to say on this program. You can agree with me. You can disagree with me. But the opinions expressed on this program are mine. So if you're mad about something that I've said or I've criticized this person or criticized that person, you you 
don't it's not it's it's not fair to criticize station management or station ownership that that's not right and that's not fair you can criticize me because the opinions expressed on the show are are mine and it's not like we get this memo saying jeff you can talk about this or you can't talk about that or jeff if you talk about this you have to say that or the other thing and i have no doubt that there are all sorts of times that maybe station ownership or station management probably listen to this program and say huh i wish he might have taken a different approach to that but bottom line is the opinions expressed on this program are mine so you know don't don't blame anybody else if you want to rip somebody you can rip me but that's just the bottom line um but anyhow the person said that they were uh, they were going to pray for me and i i'm always Always welcome to prayers. So I'm all, I am always open to that as a big believer in the power of prayer. So if you want to pray for me, I, I accept that gladly. If you want to criticize opinions I have, I accept that gladly as well. But um, don't don't blame the don't blame my employer. That's just not fair, and it's not. Right. Hey, you know, we talk a lot about out of control crime in in Milwaukee, and it is out of control. But about the only thing that you can say about uh, the crime in Milwaukee is at least it's not Chicago. Last weekend in Chicago, now I understand Chicago is a lot bigger than Milwaukee, but from Friday afternoon through early Monday morning, we're talking about like Sunday night into Monday, like 1, 2 a.m. Get this, 77 people were shot across Chicago, seven of them fatally, 77 people shot. Now, I bring this up only because sometimes you know, we focus on the, the poor reaction that you have from politicians and elected officials and some bureaucrats when it comes to responding to crime in Milwaukee. And that's true, and it's a valid complaint. But uh, in fairness, the out, crime is out of control in urban areas all across the, the country, and no urban area is probably more out of control than Chicago. 77 shootings. So, yeah, it's a mess on Water Street. There's no question about it. It's a mess in all sorts of areas of the city of Milwaukee, but at least we're not Chicago. Back with more in just a couple of minutes. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. So, President Biden is in La Crosse touting his infrastructure deal. All right, here, here is the, the question that should be asked that the Biden administration is ducking. And that is, Mr. President, you know, are you on the up and up or is this the greatest bait and switch scheme since they started putting people in jail for like Ponzi sort of deals? By that, I mean this. You know, Biden talked a lot about here. We, we want to have we want to have bipartisanship. And so what immediately happens is after he gets elected narrowly and after the Republicans lose the two Senate seats in Georgia, so it's 50-50, what the Biden administration embarked on was what I would describe as an uber-liberal wish list, an idea to try to use very, very small majorities, or in this case a, a tie with the vice president being able to break the vote, to radically transform American society as far as giant forms of entitlement. Matter of fact, there's some estimates that say that for the first time in American history, over 50% of the people in one way or the other will be on the federal government dole. I mean, it, it's, I mean, it, this is, it's FDR's, 
you know, it, it's LBJ's Great Society and it's FDR's New Deal all rolled into together. And in many cases, they're using the pandemic as an excuse to try to do this. Well, they're, they're getting a lot of blowback on this. So what happens is Biden rolls out this $4 trillion infrastructure deal, which will essentially put even more people on the dole and will involve massive government spending that creates permanent entitlements that once you get them in there, it, it will be impossible to, to get rid of them. And Republicans and moderate Democrats balk on this. So what happens is you have some conservative or moderate Democrats get together with some moderate Republicans and they say, look, to the president, we want to work together with you. And we understand that there are there are there are realistic infrastructure needs that, that we should be addressing. We're, we're talking about, you know, improvements to the roadways and bridges and the water system. And, yeah, we agree that, you know, you, you should have rural broadband and things like that, the typical sort of infrastructure. So they cut this deal. Moderate Democrats, moderate Republicans in the White House, they negotiate this and they come up with a deal that says, OK, we're, we're, we're not going to deal with four billion dollars in sp- tr- trillion dollars in spending. But here's what we've got. We can there is this is where we agree. And they come together and they say, OK, six hundred billion dollars, which is still a lot of spending. But let, let's improve the roadways. Let's do all this type of stuff. Let's fix the bridges. Let's do that. And so last week in the Rose Garden, there's this big, you know, touchy feely moment where you've got the president applauding bipartisanship. And there's a Republican standing there and the Democrats are standing there and everybody's applauding. And they say, look, we, we, we're getting something done. Six hundred billion dollars in spending that everybody agrees we should do. Well, within hours. Biden is backing off on that. Biden is like, well, I'm not going to sign this bill unless it comes in tandem with this other bill that, you know, spends $3 trillion. Because what happened is as soon as the deal was cut, you had the, the, the far left of the Democratic Party go, wait a minute. You know, you can't cut this deal. You know, we want all this this other stuff. And, and you've got to ram this through. And so Biden immediately, oh, oh, oh I don't want to upset anybody there. OK, okay I'm, I, I'm, I'm only going to sign these two if they're in tandem. At which point in time, the moderate Democrats and the Republicans say, what? You, you've just... You, you, so you've essentially been engaging this huge bait and switch with us. We've spent, you know, all this time negotiating. We think we have this deal. And now you're telling us that you're not going to go along with the deal that you have agreed to and negotiated unless we also agree to spend an extra three trillion dollars. Well, how can we trust you? At which Biden says, well, no, I, I didn't really mean that. Now, who knows? I don't know where he is on this, you know, and, and, and nobody does because it's this whole waffle thing that, you know, I, I've never really analyzed the, the $600 billion spending on infrastructure. I, I, I think that there's, I'm sure there's pork and stuff in it, but I, you know, you can live with that. You can't live with a three or $4 trillion mass remaking of American society that we can't end up paying for and are creating entitlements that are going to exist forever. But, but you cut this deal. So, you know, Biden is in lacrosse and he's talking about, Hey, we, we need internet. We need these roads. That, that's all well and good. The question should be, Mr. President, are you going to live up to your word? Are, are you going to, if this infrastructure deal gets on your desk, are you, in fact, going to stand up to the AOCs and the Bernie Sanders and the Elizabeth Warrens of the Democratic Party and do what you promised and sign it?
I mean, that's that's what the fundamental question is. It, selling this six hundred billion dollar infrastructure program, which is what he's doing, that that's I don't think that's too hard. I think most people would say, okay, yeah, we 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 can agree. This is this is something that you've had Republicans and Democrats come together on and say, yes, we we can do this. It's a reasonable amount of spending. We need to have this done. But the question for Biden is, are you going to follow through with your promise and are you going to do it or are you going to pull the rug out and say, no, we're only going to do this if you're going to spend another three trillion dollars. I will tell you this. If he does it, you can never if, if he does, in fact, not go along with the deal, you, you will never be able to trust a single thing he says again. And this will permanently, I think, damage and destroy any efforts at bipartisanship at all, because you can't have negotiations, come to a deal, and then say, oh, well, uh, I meant to tell you after the deal is signed, there, there's something else I want to add into this. You, you do it, and there's never any basis of trust at all. So that's the real test, and that should be what, the Biden, what Biden is being pushed on, not is this a good idea, but rather are you going to do what you promised and sign off on it? I don't know what the answer to that is. All right. Speaking of pressure from the left, Chuck Schumer is back demanding that Joe Biden do something that Schumer has been pushing for for a long time. You will want to hear about this because it could affect you. Stick around. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. It's illegal, but beyond that, it is just plain wrong. And Joe Biden is getting all sorts of pressure to do it. Chuck Schumer, who's the Senate Majority Leader, um, he, he one of the things that he has been pushing for the longest time, joined by some of the far left of his party, is is the idea of eliminating student debt. So, so here's the deal: without any action by Congress, without passing laws, Schumer is calling on the president to cancel, cancel. $50,000 per borrower in federal student debt. Now, the way it works right now is right now about 43 million Americans owe a combined $1.6 trillion in federal student debt. All right. If now most people don't owe 50 grand. So if you, if you, because lots of borrowers owe less than 50 grand, Schumer's proposal would wipe out all the debt owed by 36 million borrowers. So leaving another seven million or so who owed more than fifty thousand, but it would be reduced. The cost to the taxpayers, um, again, o- over a trillion dollars to make student debt just kind of go away, or most student debt to go away. And, and the argument is, well, you know, be, you know, having to make student debt payments that that. That hurts people. You, you know, you, you have to, if you're paying, you know, 500 bucks a month or whatever towards your student loan, that, that means that's 500 bucks that you can't put towards, I don't know, a, a new car or, you know, fancy gaming systems or, or whatever. Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I have said this before. I feel more strongly than ever. If you want to talk about student debt relief. Well, what you can do is maybe talk about renegotiating interest rates to to bring them down closer to where market rates are now. But the idea of canceling student debt is an insult, first of all, to everybody who has in good faith pay, taken out student loans and paid them back. It is an insult to everybody who decided because they did not want to go into debt they would, I don't know, maybe go to a different college, or maybe they would um, 
you know, work two jobs to put themselves through college. Or maybe they would go to school at, at night and instead of graduating in four years, it took them maybe six or seven years because they were working while they were doing it. Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And I mean, for my, my question would be, if we were going to do this, are we chumps? I mean, for, I mean, my, my late wife, you know, put herself through college and law school, you know, with student loans. We paid those student loans back. Took us a little while to do it, but we paid them back. Were we chumps for paying those student loans back? I mean, do we, I mean, should, should I? If you're going to cancel people who owe money now, don't I get my money back? Shouldn't we be getting our money back? 855-616-1620. Look, last time I checked, nobody holds a gun to your head and says, here, you have to borrow money to go to college. Or here, you have to borrow money to go to law school. Nobody holds a head, gun to your head to do that. Now, it, it may very well be that that's the way that makes the most sense to get you, you know, hey, I, I, I want to go to law school. All right, I, I don't have the money to afford this right now, so this is what I really want to do, so I'm going to take out a loan to do it. But, I, I mean, and and if we're going to forego student debt, student loan debt, why, why don't, why are we paying anything off? How about my car loan? I mean, why should the government just kind of wave a magic wand and say, we're not going to let car companies collect on that? Because I'm sure there's a lot of people, if you didn't have to make your monthly car payment, you know, you'd have more money to put to a down payment. Oh, well, how about mortgage companies? Should we just cancel all the mortgage debt that's out there? 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Chuck Schumer is saying, Mr. President, cancel all the student loan debt up to $50,000. Oh, by the way, who do you think that's going to also benefit the most? Maybe it's kind of like the people that went to the Ivy League schools and things like that that have spent the most money. So I think that's probably what they would call regressive as well in that it has a you know disproportionate impact on, on the wealthy people. I mean, this is the, hey, go to Harvard at a discount rule. All right, we discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. 855-616-1620. Terry from Florida. Hi, Terry. Hi. We're Jeff, in Florida. I'm well. Where in Florida are you? No, I'm in Franklin, not in oh, Florida. Oh, I'm sorry. I misread it. Got to put my glasses on. Terry in Franklin. Hi, Terry. <laughs> Hi. So I think the idea of... of um, canceling student debt or students' federal loans is ridiculous. What are we teaching these young people if they borrow money and then they don't have to pay it back? No. Well, we're we're teaching them that that you you borrow money and then somebody's going to bail you out, and that if you pay for stuff that you can afford, you're a chump. That's what we're teaching them. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I have three three. Um, children, two of which are done with school, one is still in school, and they chose their colleges because they could afford them, and they work, and we help them, but they have to have some skin in the game. I would be furious if they did not have to pay it back. Well, well, exactly, and you know, and I'm, and I'm sure, Terry, that that, 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 that that the fact that they were going to have to take debts were, were something that probably went into the decision-making as to where they go to school and, and things like that, trying to figure out being responsible. Look, that, that maybe maybe the deal is they want to go to a state school instead of a private school because they don't want to come out as far in debt. I mean, it's all those things, and, you know, essentially your kids are responsible, and we're talking about rewarding irresponsibility in some respects. 
Oh, absolutely. When my son was at Stout, there were students who took out the entire amount of money, $25,000, and the extra money that they would get, they'd go on vacation with. Um, yes. No, no th- exactly. There, there's just no question about it. Um, Jeff, I've been paying off student loans for 20 years. Um, they get $125 per month for me. I have about $5,000 left. I don't expect anybody to pick up the tab. Jeff, if you want to wipe out student loan debt, then I want my credit cards wiped out and I want my mortgage taken care of. Um, also, well, I think you have a good part. Jeff, not only is it an insult to others, but it's also preventing those students from learning how to be responsible citizens. Um, I think there is an element to that as well. A couple people are talking about, you know, how, you know, they went through and, you know, they put themselves through college and, you know, they made a commitment to pay off their student loans, whereas other people were saying, okay, well, we're going to spend the money on fancy cars and things like that. Look, it's an obligation. Nobody forces you to take it out. As I said at the start of this conversation, I, I appreciate that maybe there's some things you can do to help out people. Again, I think one of the big things might be renegotiating the interest payments because right now interest rates are, are very, very low. And I understand some of these student loans come with um, very high interest payments. And, and I, I think that's probably sort of a fair thing to do. Reduce the interest payments so you know more of the money that you're paying goes to principal. But this idea that we're going to take $50,000 a piece and just wipe out debt that people have voluntarily occurred that's incurred that's essentially saying to everybody else who's paid their student loans or worked their way through school you're a chump uh danny in west dallas danny you're in wtmj hey how you doing jeff hi danny what do you think well i've got two emotions here one is extreme anger and the other one is fear uh the scariest sentence my dad ever told me that you can hear is hi i'm from the government and i'm here to help you yeah and so that kind of rings in my mind. But I worked 40 hours a week and then some, plus uh, had a full credit course load back in college. Couldn't get student loans. So I worked my butt off, paid all, you know, paid everything myself. I'm very proud of that. Now I'm hearing, you know, with what you're saying, it's like, oh, so I got to pay for somebody else's student yep. loan now? You sure do. That, that's just that's just a kick in the face as far as I'm concerned. Well, Danny, it's it's you're 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 a chump. That's right. You you did it what we would say the right way and at least in the minds of some people it's like, well, why 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 should why should we reward Danny for that? Jeff, I had $67,000 in student loans when I graduated with a degree. I spent the next two and a half years saving every single penny that I had. Um, extra as a way to pay down my debt. I did it until I was debt-free. My friends all had new trucks and other fancy toys, but I had zero debt. My question is, what about the individuals that didn't go to school because they couldn't afford it at all? Well, um, yeah. Jeff, don't forgive the loans. It's a choice. My two college students are learning how to manage money with loans. It's tough, but it makes them responsible citizens. Yeah, I think there's an element of that as well. Um, Jeff, do the people that paid off their student loans get reimbursed? Fair question. 
I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, I've, I still, I mean, I remember how, you know, we had to defer stuff when we were paying off student loans, but we ended up doing that. Jeff, I completely agree with you. No forgiveness of school loans. I paid my school loans. My daughter paid her school loans. My son is in the process of paying his. It's not a requirement to go to college. If you want to take out loans, that's great. Too many kids go to school and party and extend their college years. Um, they can pay off their loans. No question about it. No question about it. Jeff, college is the point where it's too expensive now. See, that's an interesting point. And look, colleges have a lot of, colleges, universities have a, a lot of blame, I think, that you can fairly give to them. Because what's happened is over the years, they just raised tuition and raised tuition and raised tuition, knowing that people would continue to get these student loans. And then the schools don't care whether you, you know, once they provided the services, they're, they're, they've got their money. So, you know, I do think that there is a role that colleges have played in this problem. But the answer to that isn't to essentially reward the colleges for jacking up tuitions by by saying we're going to do away with student loans. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the program. I, Paul Joseph, who used to be the chief meteorologist at uh, today's TMJ4, back when it was Channel 4 or whatever, Paul always used to send us these memos when I first started, telling us not to interpret the radar because we're not trained meteorologists, and to which my response was, okay, Paul, but, you know, I, I, can, look at the, I can look at the patterns as well as anybody, and when you see the big chunks of red, that tells you, you know, that's not necessarily good. It looks like the... The heavier stuff is starting to move out over the lake, but there is a, there, we're sort of in this like stream of it looks like uh, rain, and I think you're going to be seeing some off and on rain through the balance of the afternoon. If you're out and about on the roadways earlier on, if you weren't listening, there was just a couple of huge downpours and lots of standing water on the roadways, so be careful, and we'll continue to give you updates to help you get around. Okay. Another area where angels fear to tread. There, you, you, you hear a lot about Will. That's the Wisconsin Institute for Law and Liberty. It is a conservative, um, think tank that files legal actions, uh, generally speaking, advocating for current, uh, for, um, for conservative causes. More often than not, most of the time, Will is correct as in its interpretations of law. If you see a lawsuit that's been filed by Will, it, it's, like I say, there's almost always, they've got a good chance that they're going to win, and there's also an even better chance that they probably should win because their analysis and their legal interpretations are correct. And they're, one of the things that they do is they say, okay, look, here, here's what you got to do. We, we want to look at what the statutes say because th- at the end of the day, there are there's two philosophies. There's some that say, well, we don't really care what the law is. We don't care what the statutes say. We think this is a better way, so let's do it our way. And then there's the other version that says, well, that's that leads to anarchy. You can't just have individual bureaucrats deciding that that they think there's a better way. You have to look at what the law says and then do what the law do what that law says. And, and a lot of times that's what the analysis is. And that's why I say that as a matter of law. The vast majority majority of time when I see lawsuits filed by the Wisconsin Institute for Law and Liberty, they're right on the merits of the lawsuit. All right, there's a lawsuit that has recently been filed, and I don't I don't want to talk about whether they're correct as to what the law says. 
I want to talk about what the law should be. Okay, so let's let's put this out at the front. It's not like, well, I, I think this practice is illegal. That that that's not it. It's what should the law be? What makes sense? And I'm talking about absentee voting in Wisconsin, in particular, the use of drop boxes where you can return ballots. Now, the Wisconsin Election Commission, you know, in in March of 2020, sent out a note to different election clerks across the state that said that drop boxes, you know, um, in a separate individually designated receptacle, think a mailbox, it's not a mailbox, but, you know, they're called a drop box, could be used for voters to return ballots. So if you have an absentee ballot, you can put it in a mailbox with a stamp on it and send it in, or you can physically bring it to the clerk's office, walk in and give it to somebody behind the desk. So this this instruction said, in addition to that, what you can do, the clerks are allowed to put up drop boxes, and they recommended having one drop box for every fifteen to 20,000 registered voters in a municipality. And they said that, hey, putting drop boxes in these areas, you know, might, might make it easier for people to return their ballots. And in the November of 2020 election, there were more than 500 drop boxes that accepted absentee ballots throughout Wisconsin. Now, the Wisconsin Institute for Law and Liberty has, has challenged this, and they say, look, this, these drop boxes are illegal because state law says that an absentee ballot either has to be mailed by the elector or delivered in person to the municipal clerk. Right. So they say this is what the law says, either mailed or delivered in person and putting an absentee ballot in a drop box outside of City Hall. That's not mailing it and that's not delivering it in person. OK, so that's what the lawsuit says. And and, and courts will decide whether that you know who's right on, on on that, whether the drop boxes are now allowed under the law. But that's not what I want to talk about. I want to talk about the drop boxes themselves. And my question is, regardless of what the law says now, right, if if we want to make it easier for people to vote, should we allow drop boxes? In other words, you get that absentee ballot, and instead of just having to either put a stamp on it and put it in a mailbox, or instead of having to go to the clerk's office when the clerk's office is open and you know walk in and, and drop it off. Is there any reason not to give people a third option, which is, hey, you know, we've got various drop boxes that are around the city. You can take your absentee ballot. You've got to fill it out like you always have to do. You have to have witnessed all those different requirements. But instead of putting a stamp on it or instead of trying to go down to the clerk's office when the clerk's office is open, you can also put it in one of these designated boxes. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I, Without regard to whether the law allows this or not, and, and maybe you will disagree with me on this, but I don't have a problem with the concept of drop boxes. I, I mean, to me, this this should be a no-brainer. Again, regardless of what the law says, but th- this should be a no-brainer. I mean, if I can return an absentee ballot 
by putting a stamp on it, putting it in a mailbox, waiting for like the postal service driver to come by, pick it up, and then deliver it. If I can do that, why shouldn't I be able to say, hey, there's there's a drop box outside of the library. I can just take my ballot and put it in that when I'm on my way to the library. Is there any reason why we don't make it easier to vote in this particular fashion? And for the life of me, I just don't see this leading to more examples of fraud. It, to me, this is a, a common sense sort of thing. Now, again, the practice might be illegal under state law right now, but looking at at legitimate changes to try to make it easier for people to return ballots. Don't we want to do that? And does this really significantly increase the potential for fraud? And, And my answer would be no. What you're really doing is just making it easier for people to drop off their their ballots and return their ballots. And shouldn't that be the overriding goal? 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And I know some of my Republican friends don't necessarily agree with me on this. But to me, if you can put a stamp on a ballot and put it in a mailbox... It, it may, if you're allowed to do that, you should be allowed to, hey, you know, show up outside a city hall, there's a drop box, or outside the library, and put your ballot in there as well. To me, it's no different than mailing a ballot, and actually, it's probably more secure. Okay, we discuss. 855-616-1620. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. The use of drop boxes to collect ballots may very well be illegal in the state, and, and there's a lawsuit that will challenge that. But, but putting that issue aside, I, I'm talking about what the law should be. If you, can, if, if you can put an absentee ballot in a mailbox or you can drop your, mail, your absentee ballot off in person, is there any reason why you shouldn't just be able to put it in a drop box? Jeff, with the, here's a text. With the exception of overseas military, we should have... Uh, we should have absentee vote. We should not have what I think they mean to say is we should not have absentee voting of any form. Why well, I, I couldn't disagree with that more. I mean, the, I, my, the first presidential election I voted in, I was I was in college. I, I was I was out of the state, but I wanted very much to vote. I, I couldn't come back physically to, to vote. It was November. I'm in my first semester at, at college. So, yeah, first semester, maybe second semester, first First year, I think, at college when I voted. Um, so it was, it was like, what? You know, what do you mean? You know, you're not going to have any absentee voting? No. So I filled out all the different paperwork. They sent me the ballot. I filled it out. I sent it back in. No, I mean, I, there, there's a role for absentee voting. Now you can argue that we make it too easy to absentee vote. You can argue that the state legislature made a cha- an error years ago where we changed the law to say that it, you don't have to have a reason to to vote to absentee vote like they do in 19 states, including Joe Biden. Delaware, but but no, I, I don't look. Absentee voting is here to stay. The question becomes, how do you accommodate that, and at the same time, not open the door for for voter fraud? Eight five five six one six one six twenty. Jason in Mequon. Hi, Jason. Hey, Jeff. How's it going? Good. What do you think? That's good. Um, I'm going to have to disagree with you, just because you don't know who's coming by and dropping off what ballots and how many of them where there's no like chain of custody, you put something in the mail, you put a return address on it. You, you know, you can always go back and, you know, verify something, but no, 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 no
how is putting something in a drop box any different than putting it in, in a mailbox? I mean, you, you fill out the, the ballot, you fill out the form, you put a stamp on it, and you put it in the mailbox. How is, how is that different than, than putting it in a drop box? It's essentially the same information. Yeah, but in the drop boxes, I don't think you have to put your return address on it. Like, what if you're mailing something from your house, you have to have proof where it comes from, like a return address. You have to do all that. Well, but the, ba- but so the ballot the- itself is good. The absentee ballot itself is going to have all, all your information, and you're going to sign it, and it's going to be witnessed and all that stuff. I mean, it, no, thanks. For, I guess I, I don't I, – I, I, to me, with all due respect, I, I don't see any – I don't see any difference – Matter of fact, I think you can argue from a, a security perspective, putting having to put the ballot into a um, to to the drop box is is as secure, if not more so, than you know putting it into a, a, a postal service thing where it's going to intermix with a lot of of other stuff. Now, I. I I do understand that, and one of the other issues out there, and there's a big concern about what they call ballot harvesting, which is where operatives go around and they collect a bunch of ballots from people, and then you know the operative will go and they'll they'll, they'll drop off like 50 of the different ballots, and, th- and there's concern about that. But at the end of the day, isn't the issue whether or not the ballot was legitimately filled out? And and to me, how you return the ballot. Really shouldn't make that much much difference, should it? Eight five five six one six one six twenty. And don't we want to make it as easy as possible for people who have legitimately obtained absentee ballots to to return those ballots? And I guess I I just keep coming back with that. I, as long as you know you've got. I mean, I guess theoretically, is it possible that somebody could get a whole bunch of blank ballots and, and fill them out, you know, and, and falsify people's information and, and put it in? Well, yeah, but they could still do that and just drop them in the mail, couldn't they? I mean, is, isn't this just a, a reasonable sort of recognition to make it easier for people to do it? Jeff, my local county building is not accepting my property tax payment in person. I must drop it in the mail or put it in a drop box. I don't like it, but nothing is gone wrong, I would think the same logic would apply to voting. Jeff, as long as they have a camera covering it, I don't have a problem with it. Um, Let's see. Uh, Jeff, my local county building is not... Oh, that's a property tax payment. Okay. Jeff, um, I say get rid of in-person voting altogether. Let's go to electronic voting. They send out an encrypted ballot to eligible voters, and you submit it electronically with proof of ID encrypted back to them. I'm... I'm not ready to go that far at this point. Um, Jeff, think about what you're saying. I think you would need some kind of barcode or proof that it was you that put it in the Dropbox. If it's a fake, it would spill, split, spit it out. Okay, but again, that, that kind of misses the, my point. If Is a Dropbox fundamentally any different than a mailbox? I mean, really, really, really. I mean, is a is a Dropbox outside the clerk's office that that that's there twenty four seven? So you know, if, if if you you know you get that ballot, you're you know you're going downtown, you're going past it, you want to put it in there. Is that any different than than putting it in a mailbox? And my argument would be, no, it's the same sort of process, isn't it? Lucy on the west side. Hi, Lucy. You're on WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. Yes, the Dropbox is different. It's better. One thing, if you put your ballot in the mailbox, it's mailed in, it's mixed in with whole bunches of other mail. 
It depends upon a postal worker sorting it, getting it into the right place, getting it to the election commissioner on time. And that's why we had all of those crazy debates. Remember about the mm-hmm. Clark rule? Right, sure. Remember that? that was totally unnecessary. And with the Dropbox, it's totally unnecessary. You drop it in. The only thing that's supposed to go in that drop box is a ballot. And I don't see anything wrong with me dropping off somebody else. I did that disabled older woman for years. Mm -hmm. And under some of these new rules, that would be somehow illegal and suspect. Look, it's a ballot. It's going to be verified. It was sent out. I, I worked as a volunteer with the election commission, there are so many safeguards on those ballots and the drop box has the beauty of being a dedicated box that is monitored every 24 hours by election officials. I say, go for it. Yeah. Exactly. Well, thank, I guess and I'm, I'm again, I, I, I'm sensitive to these concerns about voter fraud. I, I, I am. And I, but I think you have to recognize that you have to figure out a way to balance Ballot access and, and making it as easy as possible for people to vote without opening the door to, to rampant voter fraud. And I'm sorry, I'm just not convinced that allowing people a third option, that is, again, you got the mailbox, you've got to deliver it in person, or you've got the, the drop box. I'm just not convinced at all that that opens up the door to more rampant voter fraud. And if it doesn't, why don't we do things to make it as easy as possible for people to vote. And again, I, I take no position on, on whether the law allows it or not. I'm just talking about, is this something that maybe we should be able to agree on that the law should allow? Back with more in just a couple minutes. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the program. Do you know how condo associations work? There's, there, there's people you you can you can rent, of course, apartments and houses and things like that, and then you can own your own. You can buy a, an individual house where you know you are responsible for the maintenance and things like that. And then there's there's the condominium concept, and a condominium is where and it, and it varies from condominium to condominium, but essentially it's like a shared ownership sort of situation. Like let, let's take an apartment building that's a condo building. Well, all the owners collectively own, let's say, the exterior of the building. That That's owned by the condo association. And if you own a condo in the building, you are one of the, the owners. And then typically what would happen in my example is your individual unit, you own you own the space from like the studs in. So you're responsible for, for insurance, for example, you're responsible for what happens inside your unit. The exterior stuff, you together with all the other members of the condo association are responsible for, for that. And they, they take care of, of the, the condo association takes care of maintenance, you know. So, it, and again, it, it varies what condo associations do, you know, varies from condo association to condo association. But, but, you know, like the, typically the condo association will say, okay, we take care of painting the exterior. We take care of the exterior building maintenance. We take care of cutting the, the grass, things like that. You take care of, 
all right, um, painting the inside of your apartment. You, you know, that, that's, you're responsible for the appliances that are inside your apartment from the studs in or, or yours. And the way this works is typically you will pay dues to the condo association that covers the cost of the, the general building maintenance on the things the condo association is responsible for. And typically there's, there's two, the dues that you pay have two components. One is just the regular monthly or quarterly dues. And, and that goes to cover the ongoing expenses of the condo association. The, the fact that, you know, we, 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 we've hired the, 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 the landscaping people to come out and cut the grass. And we've, we've hired the people to come out and shovel the snow. The regular ongoing maintenance that, that's typically covered by, you know, a part of the dues. There's also what they call the condo reserves. And most well-run condo associations also they charge people for a, a portion of the money that goes in every month goes towards a reserve. And the reserve is set aside for big projects like, um, okay, the roof on the building has a 15-year life. And we know that at the end of 15 years, it's probably going to need to be replaced. So what we're going to be doing is we're going to be putting money aside, you know, gradually. Every month, we're going to go to people and we say, okay, we're going to, we're going to charge you $200 a month extra as a reserve. And that goes into this separate account. And we're going to use this for the big projects. The idea being, you know, when the roof needs to be replaced, you don't have to suddenly say, Oh my gosh, it's going to cost $50,000 to replace the roof. We need to go to the different condo, uh, the people that own condos and say, okay, we need $2,000 up front from each one of you. We, we've got the money in, in the reserves. It's a way of building it gradually. That's how a lot of them do. Um, there will be times though where you have these one-time expenses that, that come out and the condo association says, okay, we, we don't have enough money in our reserves to deal with this thing that just happened or that thing that just happened. So what they will do is they will make what is called an assessment. They'll go to the different condo owners and say, okay, here's the deal. We've got this project that, that needs to be done. And each one of you has to come up with $2,000 or whatever the number would be. We need jet. We need to have $2,000 from each of you in the next 60 days. So then all the owners have to scramble to come up with $2,000. That, that's kind of how it works. Nobody likes to have these special assessments because they're generally unwelcome. And in some cases, people have to figure out, okay, where are we going to get the money for them? All right. So that's kind of the background. Well, the, the big story over the last week has been this condo collapse in in Miami Beach. Now, it's actually in Surfside, but Surfside is just north of, of Miami Beach. It's kind of like, uh, well, if, if you think of all the big houses along Lake Drive in Milwaukee, you know, you go from Milwaukee to Shorewood. Well, Surfside, at least in proximity, it's kind of like Shorewood if you're going up Lake Drive from, from Milwaukee. So at least in proximity. So what happens is you have this massive condo collapse, something I, I don't know that we've seen anything of its like in the United States, certainly not in the last 50 years. And there, there's major structural, there's something major structural goes wrong. They, they still don't know. They think that, um, that, that there were problems in the underground parking garage and that you had stuff that was um, rotting, eroding, was failing. 
and that ultimately what happened is something, you know, something structural failed, and then it was just like a chain reaction causing everything to go down. Now, building in, in South Florida is always a challenge, too, because you're, you're building on you know, really, really soft ground. You're, you're building, you know, a, a sandy soil and things like that, and buildings inevitably sink. That's just what happens to buildings pretty much everywhere, especially, you know, when you're in an area like South Florida and you're building on this really, again, sandy type of soil. But you, you had this collapse. There are reports out there, apparently a Miami area condo, the, the president of the condo had sent out a letter in April saying that, look, um, that this building is in dire need of repair and you know we we're we've we've already issued 15 million dollars in assessments and we need people to start paying this because you know we've got all these different things that we've got to we, we've got to make. We've got the buildings 40 years old. We've got to do all these things. Now, I don't think the condo president knew that the building was in imminent danger of collapsing, but they knew they had problems. And by deferring the maintenance, they weren't making the problems any better. So they were, you know, they're saying we're doing this $15 million assessment, and that doesn't make any of the tenants happy a- at all. And nobody knew that there was going to be this massive collapse. But I think it's going to come back to like cases of deferred maintenance, right? I, 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 that's the background. I um, I know several people who live in high rises, whether it's in South Florida or Southwest Florida or in Milwaukee or in other areas, and there, there's no way that you can look at those pictures and the aftermath of what happened. And that was just a, I mean, that was just a a 10-story building, 9- or 10-story building that, that went down. And, you know, there's still, what, over 100 people that are missing and unaccounted for. The death total's 11. I hope I'm wrong, but I'm afraid it's going to end up being a lot higher once they finally are, are able to move away the rubble, which isn't going to happen for a long time. It's just overwhelming. But I've been talking to a number of my people, my friends, who live in, in high-rises, you know, high-rise apartment buildings. And my question has been, all right, does this make you reluctant having seen something like this does it make you reluctant to to choose to live in a high rise or was this just a, a freak sort of thing hasn't happened before probably won't happen again nothing to worry about our number 855-616-1620 that is the acunate mortgage talk and text line i'll tell you this my lovely and charming wife after she saw this she said boy i'm glad we don't live in a high rise and i was saying and i guess my attitude was look i i think this was a freaky sort of thing um i do think if you're you know got a 40 year old building and you get these warnings that, hey, maybe there's some structural stuff going. My, my guess is that you need to be more aggressive about it. But this, if I found a great, a great unit in some high-rise condo, would the fact that you had this thing happen in uh, Surfside, Florida, would that stop me from buying it? It wouldn't. How about you? 855-616-1620. We discuss. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Again, I, I look at the pictures coming from that, that South Florida condo collapse, and I I mean, I think that there was a lot of stuff that was going on there. You've got a 40-year-old building. Apparently, there were some structural problems that nobody appreciated the the depth of those those problems. 
And and so perhaps they needed to be more proactive with that. But at the same time, it it is a one-off thing. It's a terrible, terrible situation. But would it stop me from buying a, a if there was if I if I wanted to live in, in a high rise building would it stop me from buying it No. Now that being said, I mean the the place I live in now is uh, you know it's 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 two stories. You know, there's there, there's no question you know about that. I I when I was in law school I lived in Juno Village downtown and I think I was on like the nineteenth or the twentieth floor and I just didn't like the idea of having to ride the elevator up and down. Jeff, I live in a two story apartment building, nothing compared to a huge high rise, but I like knowing that I have five ways out of my apartment in case of fire and none involves jumping. The people on the second floor have one way out and if those stairs are blocked, then they have to jump or hope to be rescued. It will always be ground floor for me and nothing over two stories. Jeff, I'm working on getting my structural engineering license. From a strictly engineering perspective, there's lots of building codes, design standards, and safety factors that go into design. If the engineer is negligent, they lose their license and go to jail, but financially, some people cut corners. Well, I, I think the other thing, too, is that is that standards... Standards change o- over the years. Um, like, for example, I think in, in Florida, what, what's happened is the, the, I mean, hurricanes are a big issue. And the, the standards that for buildings built in 2000 to withstand hurricanes are, are different than the standards for buildings built in 1980. And my guess is for, for new construction, there, there's a different standard a, as well. So, I mean, standards change over time. I would imagine that Anybody that's living now in some high rise along, I don't know, beaches anywhere is probably kind of going to their condo association president and saying, hey, if, have we checked the structure? And, you know, in the case of this particular place, apparently they had lots of flooding and the regular flooding in their underground garage and things like that, which to me would be a tip off that maybe you've got something going on. It's I guess it, it's just. It's just a horrible thing, and you can't underestimate how terrible that must have been. And I think, it, like I say, it's unfortunately, I'm afraid it's going to get worse, not better, as as they as they go through more and more of of the rubble. And you know, I, you've got all these people that are that are missing, and hopefully, they're just unaccounted for and on vacation somewhere and not home when this whole thing happened. Because you wonder how people could survive you know, after like a week if they've been under all that sort of stuff. So, but at the same time, I think there's always this tendency that people might have to panic and to freak out about things. And as terrible as that is, I, I think people are still going to live in, in these high-rise buildings. Maybe they'll just ask a few more questions. And maybe when those assessments come out, going back to where we started in this discussion, they won't complain quite as much if you suddenly get this bill saying, hey, you got to come up with X thousands of dollars because we've got to make sure the structure of the building is solid. When we come back, we'll have the whole Wisconsin's Afternoon News gang in, find out what they've got on their minds.